should African-Americans rethink their relationship with the Democrats and start looking at third-party candidates for the first time in many years? We're going to talk about that today on Freedom Friday. It is Freedom Friday and you are still not free. Welcome, friends and family. It's another episode of Freedom Friday, and you are still not free, but hopefully you'll be freer after this hour with Sharif el Mekki and Ishmael and me. Uh, let me bring my brothers in because we have a topic today, and Ish, I'm so glad you can join us this morning because you are perfect for this topic. We are talking about whether or not African Americans should be rethinking our political strategy in terms of what parties we should be aligned with. Uh, it looks as though, because of recent events, Many African-Americans online especially are starting to talk about their frustration with the Democratic Party, mostly because that party has become very old and centrist and corporate. And maybe younger African-Americans just might not be willing to show up in a way that they have been showing up, which would be a big problem for Democrats. And just because they are saying that does not mean that they are saying that they need to go and join the Republicans either, because God knows that would be an interesting decision for Black folks to make to suddenly all of a sudden want to become Republican. Uh, the Libertarian Party, which I used to be a part of, actually has been taken over by Trump light weirdos. Uh, so that actually is not a you know an alternative for us anymore. For full disclosure, I am a monthly paying sustaining member of the Green Party. So there you go. I want to see if I have any backup and any friends. So come on in, brothers. Jump in on this. First of all, let me just say that, you know, we have a reason to be talking about this, too, because Cornell West is running a third party campaign. And yes, I want to bring you in and you, Sharif, on just on this part. He's getting criticism right out the gate for even daring to think about running a third party candidate because let's just be real. The criticism will be if you vote for him, that's just a vote for Trump. That's basically the, the criticism. So. Let's jump in here and see what you guys have to say. Specifically, let's start there with, with Cornell West. Well, first, I, I want to say I'm surprised you're a registered Green Party member, man. And it's really- well, Wait a second now. Why is that surprising? <laughs> I, guess, I, I, I was raised in you know, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, and we have closed primaries. So like oh. a party member, I wouldn't have been able to participate in primary elections. Um, so gotcha. I've been a registered Democrat my whole life, but I, my politics aren't Democrat if you know what I mean. So that's, I just wanted to bring mm. those kind of nuances up because state to state, if you have a closed primary, that doesn't really give you as much wiggle room to kind of like be involved in the political process, especially in the local sense, right? I wouldn't have been able to vote in a mayor primary in Philadelphia recently. I wouldn't have been able to vote for the city council primary. So I think those type of things are very important. And that's like a separate, larger conversation about, you know, voting rights, gerrymandering, how districts are drawn and everything. But when we talk mm -hmm. about specifically Democrat and Republican parties, I didn't mean to open up Pandora's box, y'all. When we talk about, you know, the uh, two-party system that we have in America, Democrats and Republicans, it, it becomes a very flattened conversation. And I feel like they both get funded from the same donors. They both kind of like play lip service to different demographic groups, yet still kind of work together on the ultimate kind of like, you know, American interest. And that not necessarily benefits the black community. Um, and so, like, I know the Democratic Party and, you know, Republicans love to point this out was was, you know, the party of slavery. Right. Republicans were the party of anti-slavery. And we don't even see that full switch 
over for a large majority amount of African-Americans voting for Democrats until like after the New Deal. And then even then, you know, it, it, it led up into the 60s and then the Southern strategy, right, with Nixon and them. So I think when we're talking about politics, we have to be very clear uh, to what we're talking about and in what conditions that we are living in. And are we trying to do it as a symptom of survival or are we doing it to envision and to embolden and to inspire? And I feel like we have fallen victim too much to what you just said. You're throwing your vote away. That's a vote for Trump. I remember I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton and I caught a lot of that stuff. So mm. it just to that kind of like you didn't wait a second woo this is this is incoming news wait a second so you voted for trump basically no i mean <laughs> that is what's dangerous because yeah, like yeah. our politics have been reduced and flattened so much that people are like it's all or nothing this guy or this guy and if you do go these two then you're for the, the guy that is against you and it's like what if both of those guys are against me mm -hmm. what's the point of being able to have the ability to vote if you have nobody to vote for and I think this is an existential problem that Black Americans have been dealing with for a long, long, long time. Even trying to move parties and get in parties and 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 uplift and, and even vote in 90 percent in some places. Right. Yet still their interests aren't being talked about. You know, I think of the senator in Alabama, was it, who got elected, Doug? I forget. Oh, his, he got elected. That, yeah. He won because black women came out in record numbers there. Okay, let me stop you there for a second. Just, just gonna stop you okay, here. For a second. Yeah, don't forget about up, black men, bro. You won because black families, black people, black men and women, black women and men uh, got on these things called Soul Patrol buses, and whole churches actually went to the polls together. Afterwards, there was a black feminist narrative that loves to erase black men constantly that said that black women saved everything. And, and it's nothing to take away from them. It's they just the same. Which, but, but they often take away from us, too. And it's time for heterosexual men to actually assert themselves because we are the bane of everybody's existence now. Now there is such heterophobia about black men. There is a black male version of misogynoir. And I don't want to get us off track here. I don't want to get it, but this is becoming a new thing for me because you know what? Black that men sounds like a, the we next Freedom Friday topic. We will come back to this then. We will come back to this next week. Which I, don't, I don't want no part of that conversation. <laughs> no, you got to come back. You got to come back. Now that you said that, you got to be in part of that conversation. Now that because most brothers will be like, I don't want to touch that. Chris, you always try and do those things. Things, you know, no, we need to talk exactly about those things where, where people say, no, I don't want to touch that. Because blah, blah. you know what? People are going to talk about it by themselves privately, aren't they? Aren't they amongst themselves? But anyways, not to steal your thunder. He um, turned this into a real barbershop. But, you know, the point that you were making is that Democrats have actually relied on, especially when there's razor thin margins, we make the difference oftentimes for them. Black folks show up. And if you were to take down just a black vote by a couple of percentages in many of these races, then you have no victory for, for the Democrats, right? Which is why Republicans are making a hardcore press right now, not to win all Black folks, just to win a higher percentage. Right now, Trump got the highest percentage of Black folks, votes that there had been. Uh, it went up to 12%, you know, for the Republicans. I think prior to that, maybe 12%. people- 
I mean, pre and yeah, and, and actually the majority of the the bump upwards is was men, was black men. Yeah, black men. So yeah. it was black men that could, so see that's why we that's why black women save it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know why those black men are running over there? Because they sick and tired of this nonsense over here on this side. Everybody always telling them that they're bad or that they you know that they blah blah blah. So they got caught up in all that macho, you know, male stuff that that the right wing is pushing. And there's gonna be more of them as like listen. Listen, anyways, I don't want to keep saying this, but all the Republicans have to do is go up by a couple of points with black folks and it can make the difference in many races. Right. And then you then you bring Cornell along because this is where we were starting at. You bring Cornell along and he says, first of all, he says the critics of third parties have good reason to be afraid. So if you're afraid, good. Uh, You have good reason to be afraid because I think he's saying more young people are going to be turned off by imperialism by corporatism, by militarism, by racism, sexism, and all those things. And you can call them woke and, you know, try and push them aside if you want to with your old strategies that you have. But then what he's saying is true. Good. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when they stop showing up or they start showing up for a different party. Like they start splintering off to a third party. What do y'all think about Cornell West? Are you down with it? I mean, I I just don't I I really need to read up more on like what his platform is. I I just don't know if, you know, when you're talking about like the youth and and what they are interested in. I don't know if he's the right candidate right now for for that third party. Really? Sharif. I'm talking about like for my generation and others, like how many youth have listened to him? I'm just like, yeah, you know, I've read, you know, I, I can't even count how many things and speeches and. You know, the amount of times he's coming to Philadelphia that I've like sat right next to him and like tapped into his brain. Like, hey, what do you think about this? I'm a you know young principal and I'm thinking about this and that, like all of those kind of things. You know, and I'm just curious, like, how is he? Is he the right person to get to them? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know, like what that channel of information giving and sharing is with him right now. Is this icon with the this, the youth who are like maybe feeling marginalized, disenfranchised, and, you know, you know, and some in the absolute feelings of despair, right? And so I'm just trying to, that's just strategy-wise, I'm wondering, like, okay, what's the right way to capture this affected, you know, group who want to be active, who want to be involved, who want to be engaged? You know, that's my thing. It's just more or less around, around, you know, just strategy, like, what's the right? And I don't know, you know, you know, could be, well, I'm, I'm just ignorant of how that communication with Dr. West and the youth, these just turned 18 year olds, this is their first um, time, you know what I mean? 18 to let's say 30, like what, you know, if they're in tune with yeah. him, not not in tune in general. And I, I was just going to veggie back off of that because I think you're right. Like Cornell West appeals to people like me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not to the youth, um, and, but and maybe a little bit in certain circumstances when they meet them. But I would double down and say, yes, the youth is disillusioned with the system. Right. Um, they, a lot of folks were kids when Obama was president. Right. They, they were brought up and be like, look at this, a black man as president. You want to be like that someday. Right. And some people drank that Kool-Aid and went that route. Not to throw shade. I understand. No disrespect or no, no disrespect. shade. That's exactly. <laughs> but this is shade. No shade. shade. But at the same time, they saw what happened afterwards. Right. They saw this country elect Trump. Right. They see the the country right now elect a man who, quite frankly, a lot of youth look at and be like, how does this man even know the issues that we have? 
And how can you adequately address it? So I would be less concerned with folks going to third parties and more concerned with folks staying home. Staying and I think home, that's, yeah. that's, that's the larger issue here that we're talking about because the youth is like, yeah, whatever, that's not going to change. And by, by default, they don't trust these politicians uh, like previous generations might have fell for the okie doke. Our, our children nowadays are very critical of everything that's thrown at them all the time. And so to the point, sometimes we just shut off and be like, what's that going to do? That's not going to change anything. I'm going to worry about my situation right here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a reality that I think is an existential problem when it comes to exercising political power within this society. And that has to be harnessed in some way, like Sharif said, because youth are thirsty to get really involved in an authentic way. I think that's going to be interesting to watch to see how willing they are once you get closer to the election next year to make good on their promise to not just show up, to fall in line for the Democrats fall in line and show up the way that they're always expected to. But OK, so you all said you wanted, you know, we talked about Cornell. You said you're not really sure about his platform or what he's actually for. So his his policy pillars for a movement rooted in truth, justice and love. Okay, so, you know, he's for love. Like, who's against love? I'm going to campaign on love. I want results, love. not <laughs> rhetoric. Like, that's what I want. I want results. Less, more results, less rhetoric. But Right. Well, so, okay, economic justice. So he has all these things around, mostly around poverty, because it's homelessness, universal basic income, higher taxes for, for the wealthy, so that you, could, you, can, you can raise the plight of the poor is basically what Cornell has always focused on that a lot. So, you know, you got stuff in here that is your traditional kind of anti-poverty stuff, more a higher living wage, more affordable housing. Uh, I'm sure in here somewhere there's stuff around free, free college, free education, um, worker justice, because, you know, Cornell is big on, on the unions and workers. Again, I think this is striking on the same thing, poverty. It's like striking on his anti-poverty stuff, which is really his main focus. And then environmental justice. I don't think we always know what that means, but I think the people who are into it really do know what that means. The environmental justice folks uh, have a philosophy, not just around saving the earth and climate change, but also making our efforts to save the earth more equitable. Because right now we have people that are living in hot zones on purpose. They've been redlined into places where folks are dumping lead in the water and increasing special education populations in whole cities. Whole ass cities don't even have water right now. Uh, And then health justice and racial justice and, you know, justice, justice and justice, the justice, justice of the justices, Uh, transformative justice, voter justice, education. Let's stop on his education for a second. Education justice. I'm interested in this. Reduce the need for charter schools. You done. You done. <laughs> Cornell West needs Are you a back to single issue, single issue of politics. If, with all the things, if we were to say that uh, education in the United States is unjust, is not just, especially for, for the downtrodden, for the least of these. When you go to my platform, your platform, or anybody else's platform, and it says education justice as your platform, and your very first bullet point is center public schools and reduce the need for charter schools. You have just told me your IQ has just dropped 100 points because, number one, there are 80,000 things wrong with education, especially for the poor, the least of these in the United States. And centering public schools uh, and reducing the need for a kind of public school, which is charter schools, should definitely not be the first bullet point on any any smart person's agenda for how you will change education in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a, a, a point worth discussing or arguing. 
I'm not even saying that. I'm just, I mean, because we could argue about it if we want to, or we could say it's good or bad as a point. I'm just saying as your first point, it tells me who you're talking to. It tells me you're talking to white progressive unions, teachers unions. You are not talking to black people that want to get an education because there are 99 problems with education in the United States centering public schools uh, against this group of schools that only serve like 7% of the, the education population is definitely not the one that you but should don't start you, with. I so mean, so. but wouldn't you say you prefer the idea of centering public schools instead of centering students? Like, wouldn't that, you know, doesn't that sound better? <laughs> don't center to- students? <laughs> yeah, it does seem better than centering <laughs> students. Yeah, let's center public schools where the middle class people who have college educations work and get pensions and support me as president. Let's center that instead of centering. That's not justice. That's actually class warfare. And that's where he loses me. So, man, let me stop right now. I, I, y'all shouldn't have had me come to this bullet point. This is, I was all for it, his possibilities until this is the, this is my problem. This is my problem. <laughs> wait, with wait, all it's of like a hundred bullets. That's it. But if it's a, if it's a hundred bullets that you like, and it's only one that you don't like, well, like, what's the big deal? That still seems like overwhelmingly okay. Okay. positive. I'm going to stop on this one and I'm going to let y'all jump in and just, just take it from here. But I'm just going to say this much. We can look at all of the political parties' education platforms, and they most always start with something other than teaching and learning. All of the political parties, all of our major organizations like the NAACP and Urban League or whatnot, it's almost as if education is the N-word of all issues because everybody's got a justice, a climate, economic, college, free college, all the stuff for the bougies in the world. Nobody's got a pedagogical intervention program. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. So when it comes to education, they are all of our parties and organizations are the dumbest about the thing that they should be the smartest about. How people learn and how they become able to defend themselves intellectually in a very brutal world. That starts with education. And because they're most of them are college educated and bougie, they are only able to think of it from a certain level up. That's why college, free college is the most important thing that they've ever heard in the whole world. Even though the majority of people don't go to college, they can't get enough of being fascinated with it because they don't care about K-12. They don't care what happens to you until you, just like, you know, the right wing doesn't care about babies until they're born. Uh, You know, they only care about babies until they're born. Uh, The left only cares about education once you're in college. That's the, 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 because before then they don't care whether or not teaching and learning and whatever. Anyways, listen. No, Cornell didn't piss me off with this bullet point. <laughs> okay. I didn't even read the rest of it. Let's see. In the next no, you got free tuition, look at it, free tuition to, to colleges, right? Uh, a minimum wage of 80K for the teachers, right? I mean, but the fact uh, that you could go, you already predicted that there's nothing about teaching and learning in a platform for, you know. literally nothing. Leader. How's that justice? Yeah. Why would he call this education justice? This should be called education class warfare. Everything in here is for the workers and for people who are in college and up. There's nothing in here for K-12 people. Every bullet here is, come on now. You gotta remember like, just because you're an ed policy person, you know, like whoever his ed policy person is, doesn't mean that they're pedagogue. Like it doesn't doesn't mean that. Most Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. they're not. Because I've met policy people in education who's like, well, I didn't really care if I was in energy department or if I was in the Department of Justice. I, they didn't care anything. They're like they love policy more than the pedagogy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so being able to understand, like, okay, what would it actually take 
for all of our children to be educated. That's a that's a deeper level of thinking that might not get people inspired and hype about, you know, like, look, I, I saw 80,000. Like, yeah, I would love to pay our teachers 80K. I would love for them to be able to get, you know, free. I'm, matter of fact, I'm fighting for like, hey, if you want to become a teacher, we want to make sure that you have free education to get there. Right. Like, so all of those things. But we're also thinking deeply about what does it mean to be instructionally just, you know, like, what does that mean? Mm, which like which that. is tied to, you know, to outcomes, you know? So, yeah. Ooh, instructionally just look at you adding something to the, to the, to the whole kind of conversation. I appreciate that one. Uh, Ish, what do you say, man, about like this specifically, we're looking at the education part of Mr. West's, Dr. West's uh, thing there. And I got tripped up on it. Do you think I should be tripped up on that? <laughs> I don't, I don't like follow the get up. You know what I mean? Trip up on it, right? But like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. So, like, when we're, when Cornell West is doing this, like, let's be honest, Cornell West has no chance of becoming president of the United States, right? At the same time, when people who run political campaigns like this and have these type of platforms, the goal is to have the Democrats most of the time to adopt some of these ideas or at least play lip service to what their stance is based on these ideas, right? So when you have something about reduce the need for charter schools, that does speak to a certain segment of, you know, usually white educated middle-class folks, right? Whose children go mostly to private schools, but I digress. But when that comes down to it, there is kind of like this, this lack of conversation about what Sharif just brought up, right? What is the goal of doing that? What does education look like? And you're right. That platform flaws flat on that. Uh, I would like to know who helped draw that up, who were the me people too. involved in that conversation, right? Because they should probably get some like hate mail from me. Because at the end of the day, I know Cornell West isn't going to win, but I want some of these things to be talked about and debated by people who are running for president, right? I want Joe Biden, when he's running for president, to be like, I messed up with the student loan stuff, but this is what's going to happen for people, you know, black males who want to attend college to become teachers, or if you're a teacher for this long, you're guaranteed. Like those type of things are real, right? And most of the time, the president's power is kind of like much more prevalent in the public sector in the sense of uniformity, right? Which I can see, but also at the same time, under no illusion that the system within itself it does not work or educate our children properly. And most of the time, I'm talking about both public and charter schools, right? Because at the end of the day, we really need to care about what our students and how how they're actually processing and gaining this knowledge. And like you called out perfectly, that's not talked about on that platform. But how would you talk about that on a platform? Kind of, how would you make a bullet point out of that? Besides what Sharif just brought up, which is a brilliant. And let me say this: charter schools are public schools. <laughs> so, so that's the first part where I said Cornell's IQ dropped 100 points when he said we should center public schools and reduce the need for charter schools. Would you ever hear him say something like we need to center public schools and reduce the need for magnet schools? He would never say that, even though magnet schools are autonomous schools who get to change the rules for themselves, some of which, I just got to keep saying this every time I get to say it, can admit students on the basis of race or test scores, something that charter schools can't do, right? But because magnet schools are aimed at affluent white people to keep them in school districts, they remain harmless. The, the schools you pick on are the charters because those are the ones that white progressive, white union members, and those white parents in those white magnet schools don't like. They don't like a threat when black people 
have an autonomy for schools for themselves. Well, if all y'all cities also. wasn't becoming more black and brown, that white folks wouldn't be <laughs> fleeing. We wouldn't have to create schools to keep them. I don't do Uncle Ruckus' voice as good as I want to. Listen, you know what? But, you know, I think a big problem, you know, with all of this, you know, and, and you know, I've, I've shared, like, when I started, you know, voting. And originally I was independent, but then I was, I got tired of, first I wasn't voting at all. Then I registered independent. Then I got tired of not being able to, you know, as as uh, Ish said, you know, join the primaries. I would wait to the generals. And then at some point I was like, all right, OK, I got to, you know, you know, register as a as a dem. And But, you know, a, a, one of my frustrating points about all of this stuff is is like just like the it doesn't seem like they're trying to make people, you know, much smarter. You know, so when Malcolm talks 50 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever, about, you know, becoming making sure that we're not political chumps that we're become politically mature and, you know, like strategy. And I agree, like some of the strategy, like it's just laid out, like making sure that we are surfacing, elevating conversations that need to be had publicly, getting people to, to make a stance publicly, like whether they're for or against you as a people, as your community, your children, your general, you know, next, you know, seven generations, whatever, right? Like sometimes they'll hide behind things. But one thing I wish, like even everybody who had these kind of platforms, whatever they're running for, school board all the way to the presidency, I wish instead of just saying, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. I wish it was just like a little tease line to say, this I can do alone in my presidential powers. This actually will need the Senate House of Rep, Congress, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like just teasing things out. So people are like, yeah, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. Like, and so immature to think that they're actually going to do this and that, right? Like, all right, you're going to do, which of those can you do with, for example, a Republican or since it's a third party, houses controlled by other parties. Mm-hmm. Which of these items can you actually do? So like almost like red, yellow, green, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, here's what I want. Here's where I, my orientation is. But it's no chance in hell for it actually happening, right? Like, so like it should actually be some disclaimers. Like, this is nice, but impossible in this current context. Not, I'm never saying nothing's ever impossible, but you know, just just more like just pragma- pragmatism, understanding, and elevating like educate. Again, this is back to education. Like uh, making sure that people, as in the the, the body who's going to elect you, have a deeper understanding beyond the you know, because a lot of folks get elected just because they're likable or, you know, they they like how they move or talk. They like how they s- clap back at people. Some people get elected mm. just for that kind of nonsense. I mean, I'd much I rather like have something. Clap, ask, I, I like clap Well, you back. just had him a couple years ago. You hated him, <laughs> as we all did, right? Like, he was, he was notorious for, for clapping back. But is that is that, like, who you really want to, to, to model? All right, so listen, let's move on. This is my party, the Green Party, my newer newer-ish party and their platform. Again, there'll be 99 things that I love. I'll be shaking my head. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. The first thing that popped out that to first, me is, uh, is ranked choice voting. I mean, that was the first thing that I saw. I'm like, yeah, we need that here. Listen, they're talking about saving the democracy. So, and they're being specific about the ways in which they're not just saying democracy. They're saying, no, 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 no. Let's unrig the system. Let's unrig the system of how power works and how you vote and well, how America, you vote matters. And all that means two so, parties. So they're already undermining democracy because they want to be a third party. Well, I mean, democracy this, is this, a two party system and that's it. Nobody else. And this ranked choice voting, I think, is the sleeper kind of like it puts you to sleep, uh, puts democracy to sleep, and then you wake up fair. You wake up fairer because if, if they were to push that and have that go through, many people would vote their first 
vote would be for the the two parties and their second vote would start being for third parties and that second vote sometimes would end up helping third parties win but anyways let me just narrow down on the thing here their first mm. thing is democracy and they have lots of lots of specifics on policies of making that better social justice is their second one again they don't just say social justice they've got a long list of what that means to them and they have specific policies that are not just pulled out of their butt, but they have searched the world and they have seen how things work globally, not just in the United States. I do love this about the Green Party. And the third one- Nordic model, is that like Nordic sleep? What is that? We'll come back to that. You know, the the Nordic model might just be like drinking hot cocoa and watching reindeers and shit. I don't know. Ecological sustainability, you know, again, this all sounds so good. I'm for all of this economic justice and sustainability. Wow, man, this is, listen, this is all right. If I got everything out of this, wait, wait, I'm at the bottom. There's no educate. Wait, shit. Oh, damn. So we're going to have economic justice. We're going to have ecological sustainability and social justice. And uh, Is it uh, is it under social justice? Was it one oh, of the oh, but, many but, bullets but, under social justice? Wow. Is it? Let's see. Let's look through here. Civil rights, equal rights, reproductive rights. Mm. So unborn babies got rights. Women are not oppressed anymore. Indigenous people. Wow. So I don't see any education there. This is weird. This is Wow. Oh, wait, I found education, education and the arts. OK, 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 let's 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 jump in here. Let's click on it. Let's double click education. All right. I found it. Whew. Uh, the Green Party supports access to high quality education and sharp increases in financial aid. God damn it. Y'all with your boozy bullshit. Only 15 percent of the people are going to come out of college. Y'all like first bullet all the time. I'm not. Let me stop picking on people because college is good. Y'all go to college. Go to college. And if college it was less expensive, right? You know, this is true. This is true. Let's make college the number one thing and forget about K-12. Anyways, let's see if there's anything in here. Y'all scan through anything in here that looks good to you. They're looking for stuff about that makes people critical thinkers. I like that. Active citizens, construction members. Of Now, you know what I'm scanning for? I'm scanning this as I read this for pedagogical infer- interventions, because if you don't pay attention to how and what young people are being taught, you're not paying attention to education at all. So let's see here. Scan through history. You know, public education is going to probably need money. Yep. Students who are low income. I love that they call out. Okay. Okay. They call out um, the need to do something specific and special for young people who are in poverty or have learning disabilities and need special education. This is not looking so bad. Ooh. Okay. Now let's see. This is the Green Party. Therefore, Let's see, this is where the stuff starts. Their very first bullet point is dismantling white supremacy in our schools, represented in curricula, discipline, teacher recruitment, and more by seeking in, in, well, Chris, I don't know. You might have, you know, you might have met your match. They wait. I was giving the Green Party a hard time, but what do y'all think about some of these bullets? Uh, Free teachers from the second point, free teachers from Common Core. Oh, Jesus. We don't need any standards. We don't want any standards. Oh, God, we just want everything to be everything. Anyways, the first one was pretty good. Um, and wait, wait, let's let's get to number this end alternative licensing initiatives such as Teach for America. Oh, shit. <sighs> I mean, you can't talk about D without talking about E, bro. So like incentivize grow your own teacher programs in oppressed communities with targeted recruitment during high school federal grants. But I mean, yes. OK, good point. Good point, brother. Except for alternative teaching licensure programs is one of the ways that we are getting more people of color into teaching because a lot of people don't want to go back to school for another God knows how many years and pay stupid money to be a student teacher somewhere and do all that stuff. 
you know, and not be paid while you and not be paid, do it for free and not be paid or whatnot. So how can you shut down the spigot in point D here that they're making alternative in alternative licensure uh, initiatives and then on E come up back the other way? Yeah, but we still want to, you know, grow, grow our own type of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is I mean, but this is my thing with all of it, like one ending alt cert you know, programs, you know, that's, you know, like, like to me, that that's such a, a infantile way of, of viewing how to improve education. You know, you know, remember the Pareto's rule or Pareto's principle or whatever is like 20% of your input will have 80% of the outcome. Like, like what are the things that's going to have the biggest lever? Is Then they focus on the things that people will get emotionally respond to when they have a targeted audience. I can tell you right now, the grandmothers and parents and communities that I serve at 52nd and Lancaster, at 54th and Warrington, at 59th and Baltimore, that doesn't speak to any of them in those spaces. And you multiply that times millions across the country. They're not speaking to them. Like, because their grandmom, who is being, kids being taught by Nadir Suleiman, who's a, you know, 15-year teacher veteran, is thinking about which alt cert did she come from unless she's ineffective. And she wasn't. She was like one of the best teachers in the city. I'd take her anywhere, you know, and I, w- I would want my child in front of her. And she's a more HBCU grad who happened to join TFA and then became a teacher, started a school and became a teacher and an educator and coached in professional development, taught, I can't, you know, countless black children. So, who are they talking to, right? Like it still centers, like still centering this small group of folks who, who are, you know, have the, have the, you know, the organized money, right? You organize people, resources, and ideas, the organized groups of people, you know, often unionized who are like, oh yeah, that speaks to me and we're going to help fund your campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking to the, the masses that are suffering the most in our country. Like, and they never do really, right? Unless they, you know, unless they do it in some kind of really stupid juvenile way, like when Bill Clinton plays a saxophone and then you got <laughs> Negroes talking about first black president, you know, or he comes to Big George's, which is a soul food restaurant on 52nd Street, and they mob the street to come see him because he ate some greasy pork on 52nd Street. Like now <laughs> you want him to like, I mean, it's just like, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy. But that is a strategy that gets people to vote for them, right? Like, you know, this kind of juvenile emotion and like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to vote for him because he hog malls on 52nd Street. You saw Bill Clinton years ago come on Arsenio Hall, play saxophone. That became a moment. That became a I remember I was in a hospital when that happened and I was like, people really, like, that's really the thing? It became a thing for people in a way because they were starving for any attention from the so-called, you know, mainstream po- politicians. So for him, that was a genuflect in a way that that was different than, but, but, but this is, and I'm always watching out for class warfare. Mm-hmm. That criticism of them was a more educated criticism of them. The educated version of that for that we don't watch out now for for some of our educated people is happening right now as we're looking at these political platforms and they are saying all the stuff that educated college educated people say that actually would be bad for us. Right. Ending alt cert, you know, would not be a good, you know, so we have to ask ourselves, why are they for ending? So so let me, you know, nothing about improving ed prep programs, right? Like, cause that's the 20 to 80, that's the 80% impact. 
they don't even want to talk to you though about that part because that's not that the, even though they're educated, they're talking at a level that is like baby food on these issues. It's mm-hmm. like baby baby food. And you pointed that out. Like this is such a simplistic way of talking about licensure. But here's their things, you know, therefore, after all the other stuff we said, because, you know, they say they, they want an end to Bradley and the Walmart family foundations. There's no such thing as a Walmart family foundation. Again, Green Party and all parties. I'm going to need y'all to stop taking your talking points from third level unionists who don't even know what they're talking about. There's no such thing as the Walmart Family Foundation. There's a uh, uh, Walton Family Foundation and there's a Walmart Foundation and they are two different foundations and they do two different things and they have no connection to each other. They have zero connection to each other. By law, they can't have any connection to each other. So when I see something like that even, things like that show up in official party planks it drives me crazy. But let me not go too much on that because then they jump into the stuff. They hate No Child Left Behind. They hate Every, uh, every Student Succeeds Act that came after that. They hate testing. So therefore, they advocate the end of the testing regime and all standardized testing and instead redirect millions of dollars of funds to prep materials and support uh, to create and expand music, arts, sciences, and languages as mandatory academic subjects. First of all, most of those, we, you know, we do mandate science and all those others are electives, but ending standardized testing. So now we have no, we have no standards because they got, got rid of NCLB and all that stuff. We have no data because we don't know how our kids are doing now. We don't have it disaggregated because we have no standardized testing anymore. Um, we're just going to pump a lot of money in. You know, they say stuff like end test and pumping punish straight up teachers union focus grouped language that has no reality uh, no bearing on reality of what we need for our kids anyways i'm going to stop with the green party but listen they gave me 95% of what i want on social policy and on economic policy and all of this stuff and if you're watching this and you're saying well chris uh you know like you so big on this education part why would you give that up for a party that is is so bad on it well because the party that you think is good on the education stuff everything i'm talking about gets 95% of the other stuff that affects my life wrong absolutely wrong so maybe i have to make a decision to live with the green party's asinine education platform because on all the other stuff 99% of the other stuff 95% of the other stuff i'm getting what i need but let me jump to, we don't have Charles Cole on here today. He would be the resident Democrat in here. But the Democrats, you know, listen, I'm not going to go through everything. I will tell you this, this education agenda for the Democrats is almost 95% just more money. That's really like literally it's just like we just need a bigger budget. We just need more money. We need to pour money, more money into a thing. They do get some specifics right, though, like a focus on uh, children with disabilities, English language learners, you know, students who need extra help. They always have been good on early childhood education, which America should have. Universal. We shouldn't, we shouldn't start talking ed. about that. Yeah. You know, so high quality K-12 schools across America, at least they say K-12. And at least they're talking about it, but they start out with money. The United States spends $23 billion more on schools in predominantly white districts and blah, blah, blah. So their big, their big win here would be, you know, more post-pandemic funding, more money, more money, 
And they want to work to expand access to career technical education, magnet schools, and, you know, just keep going on all these other things. But if you keep going down and you keep figuring out, charter schools were originally intended to be publicly funded schools that increase flexibility, blah, 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 blah. Democrats believe that education- I mean, you read all this. How come we can't read it? Why you still got the Green Party up? Let y'all see it. You know, here we go right here. Charter schools were originally intended to be publicly funded schools, you know, and then they, but then they quickly jumped to uh, a private profit motive. We need to ban for-profit private charter schools. So they said all this good stuff about access to magnets and whatever, even though magnets can can discriminate against kids on the basis of race and on the basis of test scores. But we need to ban for-profit charter schools, which, by the way, is only like 10%, 12% of charter schools. Again, why are we talking about the small, minute thing without talking about the bigger things? Because their 2080 um, is the emotional reaction, not necessarily outcomes. Right. Like that, that's going to trigger certain things. And look, I'm all for the more money like that, that the white districts and all that. But that's saying that old Negro adage of more money, more problems. It comes in because when it's more money, but less accountability, that's what leads to more problems. So, you know what I mean? So more it's like, you know, when people talk about we need more money. I'm like, all right, well, you know what? The 18th district is one of the most historically racist police districts in the city. Will it be fixed if they just get more money? Thank you. Thank you. Because you can like, pour to me, more it's a money very to, simple yeah, you know. this plus this plus this. You know what I mean? But, you know. More money for what? That's the whole thing. Because we're all for more money. We want more money for the right stuff. So more money for what? More money so that you could spend it on sending teachers to the Bahamas to learn IB practices and get trained in international baccalaureate because that would be an expense. We could get more money for that. Is that really going to change the game for us? I don't know. I'm stuck on this, this charter school, whatnot. Dems, y'all done, y'all done, y'all done you lost your goddamn mind. <laughs> Listen, and we recognize, so everything about this paragraph is about, everything about charter schools in this paragraph is being tougher on them in a way that they're not talking about being tougher on any of the other schools. They're not talking about increasing anything on the other schools except for money. And in this paragraph, they're not talking about increasing any money for better charter schools, more culturally affirming charter schools, more mom and pop charter schools, more support for black and brown indigenously grown charter schools in the communities where they come from, by the people where they come from. That would be a smarter way of like, hey, if we're putting we're passing out money everywhere and we're going to have a thing called charter schools, maybe we should put some money into some of them being organically grown out of the communities that they're serving. Maybe we should, you know, fund Afrocentric and and black and brown charter schools that have a specific vested interest in educating the kids that are in their communities. Maybe that's smarter than all this nonsense. Anyways, I'm going to leave it alone because y- y'all, y- you know, you know what I have to have to say about this. My thing is, like, I can read through all of this and it's my main point. You both are educators. None of this is getting to education. None of this is getting to actually how. Teachers teach, teaching and learning. What do y'all think, like, what would you want to see in any of these platforms if it was going to be focused on that? Like, what could a political party actually support to get at that part better? And I I was going to bring this up. Most of the time when we're talking about funding and educational policy, that's handled more on the local level. So the state and the local locality handles more of those, like, nuanced details more than the federal government. And the federal government's role with No Child Left Behind actually increased like on an unprecedented level, the government's intervention onto local education on those communities. So I, I definitely want to speak on that because there there's limitations, right, 
of what what can be done on the federal level, right? From a from a political party on the presidential executive side, right? And so, like when we're talking about all these type of policies and what they're saying, I agree with Sharif. It's supposed to elicit emotion. It's supposed to target certain demographics that are supportive and fund some of these political campaigns and uh, you know the political party itself. At the same time, I think the other suggestion Sharif made earlier of having how realistic is this going to happen? How would you get to that point? And how can we see what would be the outcomes that would be the goal that we want to see at the end of the day by doing these things, right? And so like, they don't even say that. They don't tell us those type of like ultimate goals of why we're even doing this to to begin with. But I'm going to double down even harder and say that these structures and systems don't necessarily work for us to begin with, right? And that we have to be very clear that we have to do whatever necessary, right? to educate our children and have that as the priority and all this other nonsense and stuff they talking about doesn't matter if our children aren't being educated. Right. And that's what I want to see. That's the type of rhetoric and anger and urgency I want to see from these folks to recognize that, you know, not just black children are suffering, all children are suffering right now. Our literacy rates are in the trash. We're unable to really even process folks fall victim to propaganda so easily where we're stuck in these little social media bubbles, which reinforce these type of views and worldviews, which are detrimental ultimately to actually moving towards a collective transformation that needs to occur within this society. So when we're talking about these things, again, this sounds like survival programs, right? Mm -hmm. Survival program for you is to have charter school options, right? Uh, Another survival program might be to increase funding around civics education, right? Uh, Another you know, but again, none of this is going to save us. No president's going to come in and save education. It's up to us caring for our children and centering our students. That's how that's the type of language that I want to hear. And I want to see less federal government involvement and more local control over those structures. Mm, you sound a little re- bit Republican on that last part. Get the federal government out of business. You Don't know. tread on me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do tend when it comes, I mean. When it comes to education, I kind of do because I don't trust these folks. I mean, I I, to throw a stone, not literally throw a stone, but metaphorically throw a stone at the person that's really influencing my child's policy in my locality. And I, yeah, I mean, I get that with the the locality piece, but I I think we also have to be, you know, for for me, it's like, yes, and the federal government, part of their job is to protect people and be, and, you know, have some level of oversight on it, right? Like, that's the point of, like, even Department of Ed. It was supposed to be, like, for civil rights, right? And I, I, I don't trust the locality any more than I trust, even if I can throw a stone at them, I really can't. Because even those institutions that are built in locale still shields the people away from, you know, the decisions that are being made, right? Like, there's still too many instances where they don't. So then if there's no oversight, you know, on top of that, remember, feds, like, what do they do? They they give they give some money. But as you said, most of it comes from locally. So really, in the scheme of it, federal dollars is a small amount of dollars. Right. But what do they do? They do have a bully pulpit. So I would still say I would want more specificity in the teaching and learning and all the things that you described. I would still want them, even if they necessarily can't from their position of power, they can elevate the conversation and use the bully pulpit and still making sure like, hey, and give recommendations, even like, hey, we can't force you to do a state. You got your state sovereignty and you can be as racist as you want. You can be, you know, whatever you want. You got the sovereignty to do that. But we are also going to call it out and say, here's, you know, kind of like, you know, what Elijah Muhammad used to talk about, put the clean glass next to the dirty glass. 
Mm-hmm. And if all these states got dirty glasses as far as like, and they're putting water in it and they're serving it to the kids, you at the federal level, at least put the clean glass and say, this is what it actually should look like. Not the nonsense like, be like Finland, be like this. No, no, no. What should it be like in, in Southwest Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. What should it be like in, you know, any other, you know, community that they talk about in these things? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm going to go back and read what they said about indigenous community, because I don't often see that on presidential platforms either, like speaking very specific. I'm like, oh, whoa, you know, what are you talking about that? But I, I do agree 100 percent as well ish with this idea of, uh, you know, the survival plan. Like, so what what would it mean? You know, me and my neighbor was talking about this today, like during 2020, you started seeing like, whoa, those people with all the canned beans, maybe they want to say, you know, they got had a whole lot of other issues a lot of times, you know, the survival, hardcore survivalists, you know, cults and blah, 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 and just like, you know, all kind of crazy stuff. But you're like, yeah, like planning, I was like, and, you know, and so the idea, like, what would it mean to be an educational survivalist? Wow. For my child, for Ooh. my community, what are all the things that I would say, like, I need? And even if I can't get them locally, I know the civil rights of the federal government is going to make sure, like, no, that is their constitutional right. And they deserve the same resource because their taxes paying. So some of their taxes can be diverted to educational survival list manual and, and implementation, right? And, and Further, we're going to actually give you technical assistance to make sure it happens, right? Because I can mm-hmm. want something for my community, but I might need technical assistance. I don't have the resources. That would be part of their, you know, part of their job. But at the end of the day, all of this stuff, what it does reinforce, looking at all three of those platforms out. Yes, people, I know it was brief. Well, wait a second. To, wait a second. We got to get to the last one. Last what was it one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other guy, the the Ankrum's guy. So, all right. Well, listen, I would just say that, you know, it reinforces to me how it has to be. It's up to us in our community. So state sovereignty. But what do you always call it, Chris? Like be the CEO of my child's education. Yes. You are the president of educational education. Yeah. With an educational survivalist kind of orientation and resources. So, so looking at the Republican one, and theirs is in a PDF. I forgot all about these guys. Right. So the majority, if you go through the majority of, first of all, the Republican platform starts with, we are the party that was originally, uh, I think they say we're the party that was originally united to end slavery. And that's how the Republican party got started, which is a pretty powerful first line. If you want to think about it, like we are childish. It's like, like, I don't know why y'all want to be against history. (laughs) History. It's true. It's accurate. In history, it's accurate. They were the party that was pulled together to basically fight slavery. They And, and they've know, regretted it ever since. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and I want to say fight slavery. I would say fight the expansion of slavery. They, okay. when, when the Republican Party was founded, it was not an anti-slavery party. It was an anti-expansion of slavery party. A lot of them folks were okay. Yeah, but with the Democrats at that time. That was about power. But with yeah. the Democrats at that time, they were like, hell yeah, we love slavery. So as a matter of fact, we want to we we expand this, it around expand the world. It. So anyways, in their platform, if you read through after they're saying that they were the party against slavery, they start talking about their vision for America that gives you the reason why I am not for not a Republican. 90% of their platforms, their bigger platform, unlike the Green Party's, is is about how they want the the United States to be seen in one way. They want families to be seen in one way. They want one history. They want one story. They want one narrative. They want one way of being. They so so if you don't if you fall outside of that, it's not for you. If you are LGBTQ, if you are a family that has a different composition, if you don't believe in the same history that they believe about the United States, if they don't believe that you know patriotism should be your the 
the teeth that you suck on all day long, every day, and everything that you say or whatnot, this ain't the party for you, right? Because this is a very carbon copy, Stepford Wives type of party. Either you get with the program of how they see everything, how they see the economy, how they see how they see uh, families and all that stuff. So that's the 95%. But then when you get to education, with education, they say lots of stuff that I think is good in their preamble. But if the Democrats' number one strategy is about more money for everything that's already in public schools, the Republican platform is the opposite, less money for everything uh, in public schools. We've thrown so much money away and and money doesn't equal results and we want results and you know there should be more workforce stuff and all that type of thing. But then you get down to, okay, so what do you want? They want education. Here it is, a chance for every child. And they go through much of what is not working, but they, you know, they want higher expectations, higher standards. They want teachers uh, to be protected, but not to to run everything. Uh, But when they get to academic excellence for all, you have to look for, okay, what's the thing though that you're pushing? We get your critique against everything else. And their big thing is choice in education. Choice. So choice will get us there. They, they give, you know, they give a little kind of lip service to things like phonics and career and technical education, all those things that I think are good. They get into murky territory with things like merit pay for teachers and ending social promotion, which I actually think those are worth talking about. I don't know that they're like the thing, but I'm always looking for in your platform, what's your thing? What's your big thrust thing that you're pushing? And I'm looking for pedagogical interventions. There's this choice. So choice, you guys, we don't even have to to go deep on it, people know what choice means. It means ESAs and vouchers and more money for families to pursue alternative educational routes. I can't argue with a lot of that, actually, to be very honest with you. I think families should have more resources to to do what they need to do. They also say they support learning options, including homeschooling, career and technical education, private schooling, parochial schooling, hey, even magnet schools, charter schools, online learning, early college, high schools. Listen, I can't hate any of that. Like, you know, Except for the part that none of these things in total, when you pull them all together, are an pedagogical intervention that improves teaching and learning. It's a structural change that allows opportunities. But sometimes, like, you know, I have an opportunity to be stupid if I want to, right? Opportunity by itself isn't isn't the thing. An opportunity to learn is based on getting into places where people understand how to teach and how you learn and, and how to assess that and how to measure it. Whatever. I don't know if you guys think that that's a valid critique and I'm going to leave it there. Their big thing is choice. What do you guys say about that? Are you sold, first of all, on a lot of the other stuff I said that they that they support? I, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, I have, ch- you know, I have two children in public. They call those pregnant pauses. <laughs> I, I think that we're in murky water, that we don't have a solution. Like, and I think one of the fundamental questions, like as a as a person that thinks of like curriculum writing, you got backwards design. What is the ultimate goal and purpose of education like in our society? What are we trying to achieve when we talk about education, right? Is the goal just to educate some, right? Because one dirty secret is this is a capitalist society, right? And there's divisions of labor and structures of permanent unemployment rates and competition at the bottom that is necessary to maintain the structure in which we exist in, right? So that's a little dirty secret people don't talk about when it comes to who gets what type of education and how is that delivered, right? But ultimately, we know what works. 
We know what works, smaller class sizes, more diverse teaching forces, teaching those children, children being able to interact with other children that don't look like them or live near in the same type of communities or don't have the same social economic status. We also know that high expectations and all the, the rhetoric that the Republicans just said just work also and that we should have some choice on those things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't trust them folks doing that because the way I see it, it sounds like a coupon to folks who have money, especially when we're talking about vouchers or a handout to religious associations involved in indoctrinating children and federal funds going to pay for children to go to those places. And it just gets very murky for me at that point. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I say all their platforms are trash for various different reasons. But at the same time, I don't feel like we're clear. Like, even as a community, what is the purpose of education? So, like, I'll ask, like, Chris and Sharif, if, you, if, if somebody asked you, what is the purpose of education, would you be able to describe that and then say, these are the steps that we get to that point? Because I feel like that's what needs to happen. And at the same time, I don't feel like that's the conversation. That's so true. And that is <laughs> really is. Sharif, what do you say? One, I, I mean, I don't trust a whole lot of their, you know what I mean, their double speak in, in a lot of spaces because they'll talk about like, oh, yeah, we used to be the, you know. As as Ish, as a history teacher, accurately pointed out the expansion as they were killing people to expand. They're like, hey, don't import slavery, but it's okay to import deep racism and Jim Crow and all those other kind of things. And in the schooling thing, when you're talking about like choice, but not, but also saying like, hey, but we're going to erase you too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want you to. We're going to ask you to teach inaccurate history. But you have a choice to come, you know, we want you to have more choice of inaccuracy, more choice of racist, you know, you know, ideas, more choice for things that are really subpar and substandard. Like to me, that's not a that's not a real choice. That's not a real authentic choice. But it, it plays again to the emotions of people who like, yeah, choice. That's right. And I, I just think we got to be more sophisticated than that. And again. You know, it is going to be up to us with all that stuff happening. And I'm, I'm not saying like be disengaged. We have to be fully engaged. But we also have to be fully engaged in, in knowing like what's within our locus of control right now for our children tomorrow. And it starts with the conversation that you all just kind of laid out that we need to be having. And that idea of having, you know, educational survivalist mentality as we're doing that. Like with that. And I think that's part of like what Malcolm was talking about, like the strategy and having, you know, more of a sophisticated view, worldview and local view and state view, right? Like just having a more sophisticated conversation and strategy to combat the the hostility that we're going to see, whether it's local or, 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 or distant. I think that's a great place for us to land for today. I appreciate this conversation so much. Uh, and we need to keep coming back to it. I think what we have learned in today's conversation with us uh, that we should all apply is look deeply into the education platform of every political party, every political person, every person that is coming to sell you something, ask them about what their education platform is. And then as you're listening or reading or looking through their platform, ask yourself how much of this literally has to do with teaching young people and learning and knowing that it's working. So that is where you have and to know that it's working like that. And it's working. Yeah. And you have to be like clear about the fact that if that's not the discussion, then you're not having an education discussion. Education happens between a young person, their teachers, their environment, what type of tools that they have at their disposal and somebody being accountable 
for for that process for those young people having all those things. Uh, we need great teachers. We need great we need great supported educated, prepared, sustained teachers who are culturally affirming of their children, of their students. Uh, And we need well-resourced schools, but not just well-resourced. We need them to be producing. We need them to actually be showing their worth. So anyways, as we we wrap today, I would say, let's keep coming back to this because next year, 2024, is going to be a political season. There's going to be lots of conversations. A lot of that conversation is going to miss. It's going to go right over the head of what our kids need for their learning. And we need to just keep pushing them back to that. Anyways, Cornell West, good luck, brother. Democrats, Republicans, curse on your house because both of y'all getting major things wrong. Green Party, thank you so much for saving the soul of America while being completely stupid about education. Uh, we, will, we will help you out on that. Libertarians, curse on your house. Your entire house is in disarray. We don't give a shit about you. And, you know, we literally don't. Y'all can just like, you know, eat one and then, you know, listen, listen, don't get me started. Anyways, but do not get me started. Do not get me started. Uh, This has been another episode of Freedom Friday. And as always, you are not free, but hopefully you are freer after this hour with Ish, Sharif, and me. We appreciate y'all. We'll see you again next week. 